Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day, every little thing's gonna be A-OK. known fact about my guest today. He's one of the founders of the extraordinary organization Broadway Advocacy Coalition, which is now being honored with a special 2021 Tony Award. I am so honored to have Britton Smith on the podcast. Welcome, Britton. A-OK. Hey everyone, my guest today is the artist and activist Britton Smith. Britton has been seen on Broadway in Be More Chill, Shuffle Along, and After Midnight. He is also a co-founder and president of Broadway Advocacy Coalition, an organization launched in 2016 that focuses on dismantling racism through collaborations at the intersection of artistry and law. He is also the lead singer and songwriter for his incredible band, Britain and the Sting. I could go on and on about his resume, but go to Google. It'll fill in all the things that you need to know. But now you just get to hear from Britain himself, um, someone I admire so much. I was telling Britain before we hit record that the first time I met him, I had seen him on stage, but the first time I met him, as himself, not in an acting role. I hosted a panel at Broadway Con called Actors and Activism. And on that panel was Britton, Anthony Rapp, Ariane Moyed, and Emily Skeggs. And it was there that I learned about the Broadway Advocacy Coalition and bringing art and activism together in such a powerful way. Welcome back to the podcast, Britton. Yes. So great. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to just chat and talk about the work and where we are and just honor how we're showing up. It's been such a crazy time. And so I'm happy to be here with you. Very happy. So part of why, you know, we chose this time today to talk is because you were going to be having, we'll just call it back for the sake of um, the shorthand of this incredible organization that's just had such a leadership role during this time, both in the Broadway community and beyond. Mm. Um, And I know you just had a meeting. And so I don't know if you want a stream of consciousness, talk a little bit about where, where that meeting leaves you as you pop on to this meeting with me. Mm. Um, Just, just talk to me about what's on your mind. Yeah. So much of the, of the work we do at BAC um, is very difficult and challenging, and it requires a certain mind and willingness of people who are directly affected by the issues we're trying to um, combat and fight against. But we're all almost nerds for liberation. 
And so mm-hmm. we get on calls and we'll have an idea and then we'll also see a blind side of like, oh, but you know what? We didn't include this nuance or this experience. Okay, so how do we include that? We're always trying to um, aggressively, almost like a sport, find where is an opportunity of impact that is going to include the stories of the people who are most directly affected and not ignore the world we live in. Like there are certain things that we want our government to do that our government says, well, we can do that, but this law keeps us from doing that. So even though we want to, we can't. So like, what are those laws in place? What are those policies in place, even in our industry that keep us from our fullest liberation? And so we get really excited um, and also really exhausted, honestly, by the level of rigor and dissecting it takes to really find a point of change. Where is the point of change? And that's is it, is it surprising to you because when you first came on the podcast in the actors and activism space, you talk so much about um, going to Albany or going to different places where government lives mm-hmm. and, and protesting through an artistic experience of some kind. Mm-hmm. And at that point, it didn't feel centered on our industry, the theater right. industry. Right. It yeah. could be about housing. It could be about right. uh, integrating people back into life after, after being in prison, like all of these things yeah. where racism and, and law intersected And now that is moving into the Broadway space as well. And that's where your leadership has been so generous with panels and symposiums and and all sorts of opportunities for people to be involved either as listeners or as as, um, participants Mm -hmm. in some way. When did you realize, or maybe you were always working in the theater space as well, and I just wasn't aware of it, but when did that pivot happen um, in earnest, in the way that I have certainly felt it in this last year. Yeah, that's a wow. That's a that's a great question, and we're always trying to. Our impulse in 2016, when we began BAC, was to get Broadway people to use their voice and their platform for social justice issues. And then we realized, oh, for artists to have impact, they need to be connected to people who understand law and policy. So that gave us the opportunity to build a relationship with Columbia Law School. We now have this marriage and we built this methodology called the theater of change that involves artists who are interested in solving issues around mass incarceration with people who have gone through the system, with lawyers who are working within the system. And we make a space and in that space, becomes an opportunity for dialogue, deepening empathy, understanding the policy, understanding the lived experience from the person who has been justice involved. And then from that space, we then create. So then when George Floyd died, I mean, was murdered, sorry. It was such a moment, such a pivotal moment for the globe. Yeah. And I got a text from Amber Iman, she's another one of our founders, was like, hey, this feels very much like a Broadway for Black Lives Matter again moment. What do you want to do, Britain? And we've been forever advocating for artists to get outside of the Broadway space and join us in Albany, join us in this housing projects, join us in the fight for 
um, young people to have proper books. There are so many issues around the city, around Broadway that needed our attention. So that was always our mission. And then we saw a link that even in our own industry, white power prevails. The people who are most directly affected by the issue of racism in the industry are not the producers, are not the people at the levels of power. They are the people who are making the least, who are most expendable. So we saw that, that there was a parallel between our mass incarceration work and this industry that we actually love and care so much about. So we're able to take that same like methodology of let's gather everyone in a space to understand the issue, share stories, listen, and then create together new ways of working, create together a new standard. If the producers on Broadway and everybody that has power creates a new standard without the people who are most directly impacted by racism, the standard will not reflect the fullness of everybody who has to embody it. So we've taken our methodology and said, hey, Broadway, here's an opportunity to create a space where people can all be heard. And then we create together what the standard is. Um, and so we didn't expect there to be a, a shift in our org. It took a lot of ironing out, like, do we want to pivot like this? And I think we're all servants of freedom. And there's a lot of chains that need to be broken in our industry that encourage us to share our methodology with and share our, our interest. And it's, it's crazy. I'm, I'm an actor and an artist. And so to be positioned in an acting and arting space to challenge in a way that felt very disconnected, it's also nice because there's, a, there's this world where it's all connected and I don't feel like I have four hats on anymore. I feel like I, I wear one hat as an artist interested in liberation, you know? So I certainly know in the acting space, everyone I know um, has been deeply impacted and affected by your voice, your, 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 your team's voice, mm -hmm. Ziz. Um, inspired and guided. Have you found that anyone in the producing space, the boss space, as opposed to all of us who are guns for hire right. and, and have felt sort of powerless to do anything beyond uh, do a good job in our part, but has anyone in that position uh, reached out to you guys and asked for guidance help to put their money where their mouth is so to speak yeah. yes so many actually i think uh one of my fears was is that bac was going to become the industry's favorite black friend you know where they're like oh i'm not racist i'm cool with bac yes I'm, yes i don't know no, no, no. i'm not no i follow them on instagram i follow bac on instagram i'm not i'm not harmful i don't do harmful things britain's my guy no no mm -hmm. no you know so there was a time where all of the new interests. And I mean, I, at this point, we have phone calls and I have conversations with the most influential people in the industry. And sometimes you have to ask yourself, like, what was that person's intentions? Were they mm -hmm. real? Were they coming from a hard place? Were they performing? Were they not? And I think six months ago, I would have said something different than I can say now. Six months ago, I would say, I want to change their hearts and minds. I want them to all understand and believe. And, and I, I was coming from a different place. 
full transparency right now. I don't give a damn what their hearts and minds do. I want their pen and their paper to make decisions that are not just going to affect me in a space, but people who cannot wait to be on Broadway one day, who cannot wait to be in a show one day. Change the policies because policies outlive your heart and your mind. Right. We're still operating in policies in our industry that were made in like the 20s because they outlive us. So right. I don't care what you feel power that be. I actually do care, but it's right. more important to me that your hand and your typing ability reflects what I believe a standard is so that that can outlive all of us. Pragmatic. Yes, do the thing. Feel. So what are some things, can you talk about some policies, uh, real or hoped for, that are under this umbrella of yes. desire for change? Oh, absolutely. We're actually getting ready to launch um, I, um, a program called REP. It's called Reimagining Equitable Productions. And that's a fancy title for a first day of rehearsal workshop. Okay. The first day of rehearsal is such an opportunity to name the unnamed. So many things are assumed. I assume that you're not gonna be racist or problematic or sexist or homophobic in a room. And then when those things come up, we're not prepared to hold them, um, to give them proper consequences or even what to do with them. You know, The yeah. first rehearsal is such an opportunity for saying, hey guys, in this house, we believe this. Then this house, we don't put up with this. This is gonna be a space where you can tell the director, excuse me, uh, that was offensive to me. Um, can we go back? This is gonna be a space where you know that everyone's gonna make mistakes at some point. And this is what we can do as a community with those mistakes. And here are measures of holding our unique standard accountable. I learned, I assumed that it was the Broadway leagues or the union actors equity to make sure I was safe in a rehearsal room. And it is kind of the union. I didn't realize until much dissection and talking with the powers that be at union, right. they can't force employers to do much about my safety. It's the employer's job. So with that information, we said, okay, where's the point of change? We, right. need, to, we need to partner with employers and have them bring BAC into their rehearsal rooms on the first day and walk them through a process of what makes you show up fully in rehearsal? What makes you fully show up as your most authentic self? What makes you scared about the first day of rehearsal? What are you afraid of right now? What do you want? How do you want to exist in this space? Getting everybody from the producer to the crewman in the room together. And then again, create together a standard of equity and then measures of accountability to that standard. So we're working with, I think seven casts now have brought us on. When they come back to work, we'll be working with them. And man, there are so many organizations outside of BAC. Broadway for Racial Justice has work that they're doing. BTC has work that they're doing. I just love that there are so many ways of going around what we thought were the responsibilities of these big institutions, these big spaces, you know, and I got to learn what their power actually was so that I can go around it, that we can go around it and create a space with who we can create a space with. So that's one of them. Um, also, um, we're working on uh, 
this is a heart and mind project, but I believe white people need to learn from other white people doing this work. Uh, I feel like there's so much unseen uh, work that people of color are doing during this time. And there's so much unseen clarity that we're not getting from our white allies institutions. I would love for there to be, this is hopeful, a mm -hmm. space where white people can come together and be vulnerable around each other and learn together in a way that is communal. You know, I think it's very natural for me to get around other people of color and feel a sense of community. I think that can be fostered within white folk who wanna do this work, but it has to be fostered with a level of trust. And I think white people are more able to fall in front of each other than they are in front of people of color. Mm. I just want you to fall. You don't need to mm -hmm. fall in front of me. It's not important that I saw you fall. It's right. important that you fell and learned. So I don't care where you fall and learn. I just want you to fall and learn so that when I'm around you, you have a sense of callous of, of falling that promote humanity in the space when we're back together again. Can I go back to your childhood for a minute? Tell me a little bit about, I know it's a big jump, but as I listen <laughs> to you, I think, tell me about Little Britain and, and is Brittany your name, like on your birth certificate? Is my born name, yeah. Okay, what is your full name? Britton Charles Smith. And little Britton was a little shit. He was a little shit, man. Like he, he was very, um, I come from so much chains. Oh my God, religious chains. Oh my God. I knew by seven that I was a demon going to hell. For liking that other boy. Mm -hmm. I knew at like seven that I was so bad and so wrong. And so it, it made me very um, isolated and I didn't have a sense of community. My mom was a single mother. My brother was a star athlete. And so there were many things I had to figure out on my own in isolation. And eventually I moved to Dallas and I went to an art school for high school. And I stayed with my grandparents. And that was the first time I saw other people who were weirdos. And I was like, oh my God, finally, a sense of community. But before then, I was very um, tr tr troubled and, and, and locked into chains. And so I've learned to internally challenge my own chains. And then that has allowed me to fully love myself. I'm such a man of God in my queerness. Like there, it just, I think um, being so near darkness early inspired me to drown myself in light once I figured out what light looked like. And I was like, oh, that family cuddles and watches TV together. I wanna go to their house. Oh my God, that person sings loud and they look happy. I wanna copy that. Like. I almost copied freedom until it became my own. And, and now I, I have my own that other people can copy if they need to, honey. And it just feels like, oh, it's such a gift. And then that's what's in the core. And church is always, even though church was complicated and, and violent to my identity, it still taught me how to rise above crap. I remember feeling the Holy Ghost so early and so music is my tool to rise above earthly things like race mm -hmm. and sexuality and gender and poverty. Music puts me on a cloud. So I have a secret weapon that I think everybody needs to have. 
what is that thing in you that's gonna make you rise above an earthly thing? And to me, that's music. And the sting and BAC are two things in my life that continue to grow both of those, all those things that I need. Like, it's insane. It's like, I just feel blessed and lucky to have those two things because they're the community I always wanted, even though they're very different from each other, but they also build my capacity to drown myself more and more and more in light. And it's just like, it's fabulous. So I only read your Broadway credits, but there's the wild party at, you know, city center. You've done a lot, a lot of things. We've, we've been able to hear your voice in a lot of different places. Um, how did you get from that high school in Dallas? By the way, before you went to high school in Dallas, where, and to live with your grandparents, where did you grow up? Uh, San Antonio. San okay. Antonio. About five or seven hours outside of Dallas. Okay. Yeah. How did you get to New York? I <laughs> I auditioned for Pace. Pace came to my high school. Um, the director of, the, of Pace came to Booker T, my high school, and they were looking for folk. I auditioned for, uh, no, I auditioned for a summer program. I'm sorry. Perry Mansfield was a summer program and Steamboat Springs, Colorado. Okay. And they came to Pace. They came to Booker T, my high school, to audition students to come in the summer camp. I was accepted. I got a full scholarship. I went there. I met the department head of Pace. And she was like, you should come to Pace. And I was like, you should give me money to come to Pace. And by God's design, it all worked out. I went to Pace. I didn't have to work. What a privilege. I was able to just like smoke weed and learn in New York. And like, I learned so much and I took so much from that opportunity. Is Pace like a dorm situation? Are you living in, do they have dorms? Or are you in an apartment? Like, where are you living? I lived in dorms all four years. Yes. Okay. Yes. And did you find a community? Yes. And when I first got to Pace, um, this woman named Nikki Foster, oh my God. This woman named Nikki Foster, she was an admissions director at Pace and she read my application and I told her my story through my application and it's not even her job to help me find money. She helped me find so much scholarship. And then when I met her at Pace, she was like, come over to my house for dinner. I think, yeah, I went to her house, we had dinner and her and her husband gave me a key to their place the first day I met them. And they were like, this is your second home. Welcome to New York. We're gonna be here for you if ever you need anything. It's just us and a dog. Here's a key, that's your bed over there. And they were my rock in New York. And like, they were, they held me accountable. I was 18 when I moved here and wild and ready and they held me down. And so to this day, they are my New York family. I owe so much to Tim and Nikki Foster. They're incredible. She just saw you. She just, and I mean, saw me. She just saw me in a, such a radical, life-changing way. And, and she said, Britton, I don't know why, but it was a part of what I was supposed to do. I, we, it's a, such a connection. We have such a connection. And she's just like 70-year-old white woman who is like my second mother. It's insane. It's insane. Do you still have a relationship with your family? Oh, yes, yes. Totally. Oh, yes. Yes, and they so that has that, that has solved itself. Oh yes, absolutely. I mean, 
once I became very liberated and comfortable in who I was, I was almost defiant about it. So they had no choice and they've gone through their own journey. And I fully am, I'm full when I'm home now in a, in a way. And they know Nikki and they, they're, yeah, family is great. They're all great. Oh my God. I mean, Nikki. Honey, Nikki. Nikki. Nikki, for sure. Yeah. So how did you... Um, start working professionally? Like what was the beginning? Are you like looking at backstage and auditioning for stuff? Do you get an agent early on? Like how does that even happen? Because I wasn't like what I call a theater boy, I really was really introduced to theater. I did like a play, I did a musical in, in high school, but like Pace really was the first time I was studying and like watching and getting to know theater. So I kind of made fun of it and was like, y'all are doing what? Going to backstage, just like be yourself. Like, what are y'all doing? Like go to an audition, sing it. Like, I kind of was like a little, like, I'm, just, I'm gonna get a tattoo. Like, forget you guys, y'all are- What so- is your tattoo? Oh my God, I have so many. I okay, have- what was the first one? The first one was this. Okay. Band. And there's one here, there's some here and, I- now I look back, that first one was like such a message to my school to be like, do not treat me like the other motherfuckers here, please. It really was. And there was a sense of, you're the black act, you're the black guy here and you're hilarious and we're gonna treat you like this and we're gonna do this. And I needed to do something to be like, you don't know me. Mm-hmm. And they were like, you're never gonna work with that. And I was like, yes, I am. Yes, I am. I am going to work. I am going to work. I know I am because something's telling me that my authenticity will provide. Y'all are all tripping here. And I got it because so many of the things that I was taught at Pace, other institutions I learned later were teaching Mm -hmm. the same thing. And then you go into the real world and then you realize, oh my God, no, no, no. They're teaching us to be robots to exist in in a thing that like really the most awesome successful people I know on Broadway are the most individual, are the most wildly unique unicorn babies. Yeah. Were you a theater major at Pace? I was, yeah, I studied musical theater. Oh, okay. a, a job. My, my, I, got, I got an agent after college through Showcase. Okay. Uh, and then I started working shortly after that. Like pretty quickly? Pretty quickly, yeah. Um, my first, I, um, I started working professionally still during college. I, I worked at Weston Playhouse my sophomore summer. I went to Paris my junior summer. And then senior year, I, I, I worked at, no, Surflight was my, su- God, I worked every summer in college, yes. <laughs> Freshman summer, I worked at New, uh, Surflight Theater in New Jersey on the beach. It was insane. They so right me. away, you got a lot of affirmation for your unis. Yes. Yeah. 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 Thank God for it. I know people who are so good who don't have affirmation. And I'm like, I get it. You know, affirmation is really important. Just to say, like, I see you. Like, you're doing good. I want, I want you. It's important. And then as you go along, George C. Wolf hires you. Mm, yeah. <laughs> now he is he yeah. can be a formidable presence um what was 
what was your experience like? Um, I didn't know who George C. Wolf was until the audition. Helpful. <laughs> that has been a very helpful thing for me during my whole career. Mm. I, not knowing people until I need to, which is very antithetical to how they teach you in school. You need to know this casting director, you show right. up and you perform. No, 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 no. I didn't know who he was. And so we had a real exchange in the audition and I was auditioning for the lead, but I was like 24 or 25, so young. And so they hired me as a standby and my ego was so tight. You know, I was happy to be there with all these stars and, one day during tech, I gathered enough courage and I asked him, I sat next to him and I said, hey, George. He was like, hey, 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 what's up? What do you want? And I was like, why am I the understudy? Like, I'm good. And he was like, he looked at me and he was like, how old are you? And I was like, 25, 24. And he was like, how old is he? And I was like, he's like 30 something. He was like, get out of my face. Get out of my face. That was it. And he was telling me, you are in your season and your season is seed. Mm. Be a seed. Be a seed, man. You wanna be a flower because you, you can imagine your potential, but the flower is a seed first, man. You're 25, that guy's 35. He was a seed once and you gotta go through your process, man. He, and that was only one gem, he said, that I will always keep in my mind. I mean, he's George C. Wolf because he's a library and he's a soul from another planet who's visiting us to offer us all gems. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. But to have that kind of teaching as a young actor mm -hmm. um, can be a powerful thing. Oh, yeah. And humbling. I'm sure it was very humbling. Get out of my face. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, all right, all right. Anyone want Chipotle? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anybody? Yo, for real. It was very humbling. Yes. Yeah. I look back now and I'm like, wow. Um, we're in such a, a very precious, sensitive time right now. I'm like, wow. I wonder if he had told someone like, Get out of my face in this moment would that have been interpreted interpreted differently during this moment and you know with a heightened awareness and sensitivity right it's so heightened right now and that and I, I don't say that to pacify the bullying and abuse i know from from rudin and other folk you know I, I think all that is very very important but i also i'm like wow i learned a great lesson from him telling me to get out of his face i really did yeah and they didn't seem violent to me. It seems like something I needed to hear. Like parental. Yes. In, yeah. in a, in a, in a non. But not um, warm. Humiliating yeah. way. But not warm. Right. Not, but like, not warm. No. Not right. warm. Okay. Tough coach. Yeah, tough coach. There you go. Yes. Um, well. I saw you in a show where you were so very not an understudy, um, Be More Chill, hey. which was uh, just the craziest, you know, we're talking a little bit before we started recording, like, like shot out of a cannon for all of you. Mm -hmm. It was um, 
no one could get a ticket when it was off Broadway. It was, uh, there was this insane momentum around it. Were you in it when it was at the Two River Theater in New Jersey? No, no. Um, I remember getting the audition though, which is crazy. I, I looked back at emails and I saw that, oh, they asked me to come in for Jake during that production. But no, I joined it off Broadway. Was that a positive experience for you? Yes, yes. And a very challenging, necessary, fruitful experience, yes. Can you talk about, those were four, maybe five adjectives. <laughs> yes. you, can you sort of like what, what runs through, like if there's a movie of it running through your head, because you've done so much since then also, and the Broadway run, but your life has exploded in so many ways since that show. Mm -hmm. um, wh what is your, wh what is that? I, uh, fruitful. Uh, it was the first job I had where I really felt like the, it was my first Broadway role where I was like, not only do I have my own dressing room and that's awesome and I'm getting paid more than I ever have and that's awesome, but I had real voice in the rehearsal room where the director would ask me things and, and I would be able to say, yeah, no, I don't feel that. I feel this. Or, or the costume designer, I would say, hey, man, I feel like if I'm supposed to be rich and wealthy and popular, why would you put me in chains in this jersey? Let's talk about that. I feel mm -hmm. tokenized. So how can we still make me cool, but also show my intellect? You know, how can we do that? So he was like, you know what, Britton? I never thought about that. Let's sit and have drinks. Me and Bobby Tilly went to a bar, had drinks, and he shared costume ideas with me. It was the first time I felt like my voice at that level was being included and it mattered. It was also the first time that I was in a show for a long time that wasn't all black or predominantly of color. Mm -hmm. And there's a different way we, there's a different way the room vibrates when it's predominantly people of color. And Be More Chill Room vibrated vibrantly because everybody was a freak and weird and brilliant and crazy in a way that like, I'm a weird, freak as well so we had balls but there were some inside joke, there were some inside jokes that I would say he would be like huh and I'm like oh right I need to know my audience it's not my audience it's a different audience okay so that learning curve of being back into a space where um me and Tiffany were the only black people in the cast aside from our understudies and and sandbys so that was a a a, a curve and then Joe Iconis family, they are the mafia. They love each other. They roll deep. So being introduced to our already core, I had to kind of find my way in. Yeah. And they were more than welcoming, more than hospitable and warm. That was just a dynamic you had to be introduced to. I'm not just coming into a cast. I'm coming into a family. Yeah. And so that was, I don't want to say challenge. That was something to navigate. I also yeah. got divorced during Be More Chill. So that was horrible. And my dad died during Be More Chill. That was horrible. I was injured. I hurt my ankle and we had to be out for like two weeks. Never before. I mean, it was one of those moments where I was given a lot and a lot was also taken from me in life. So mm -hmm. I would be bawling at the house. There were, and it's so brilliant too, because 
when you're in a good cast, they notice you and they notice your shift. And they were so there for me. There will be moments where they, I have a, a routine of jump roping and praying on the stage and dancing always. And if I didn't do that, they knew I was in my room crying. Mm-hmm. They would come and just hold me as I like wept with like so much frustration about where my life was right now. And they would be like, hey guys, we're gonna hold a little bit. They would hold sometimes, yeah. It was beautiful. It was really beautiful to be seen in that way. And most shows, you're not a human, you're a cog in the machine and they want you to leave your shit at home. And I never felt that from that family that wasn't even my own. They, they let us in and they let us in in a real, real way. Hold the show, Britain ain't ready. It was, that's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy humanity really centered centered humanity it's crazy so brilliant so yeah all of those things fruitful challenging navigating all of those things are real that's a lot mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's a lot and then i was thinking about when you were talking about you in high school and sort of the world that you met, I was like, that sounds like the cast of <laughs> the, the, the imagined characters mm-hmm. in, in Be More Chill, right? Like mm-hmm. just a mismatch crew of authentic freaks. Yes. And it drew yeah. an audience of young people and grownups alike yeah. who really felt ownership of that show, A, in some ways they they were stockholders because their downloading and streaming that music was in, in no small way a part of why that show moved to Broadway. It was so unconventional and it was really like a fan demanded experience. But how did you handle, like that stage door, first of all, social media full throttle, right? Like this show is happening because of social media. Michaela Brewster works for Marathon Digital. She's an incredible visionary. She, oh my God, she's an incredible mastermind of social. That's incredible. Yeah. Incredible. And also just to shout out the nicest human on the planet, like the most beautiful spirit yes. and is doing more in a day than, well, you're probably doing as much in a day as she is, the two of you. Right. Social <laughs> media is 24 hour. It's, it's yeah. great. I bless her heart. Yes. 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 But it also meant that you guys, and, and this is true, not just of your show, there's a, a sort of expectation that there's an interaction with the fans 24-7 as well. Um, how did you navigate that love that was kind of pouring out for you guys as a cast and also an expectation that you would be there for them too? Um. I think everybody had their, it was nice to hear how everyone else dealt with it. You know, George particularly and Will, Stephanie, they got crazy out. We all got crazy outpouring, but they got insane outpouring Mm -hmm. of people messaging and saying, hey, I was going to harm myself last night and you saved my life. I never got those messages. Okay. So knowing that those messages existed tempered my navigation 
and gave me a sense of, okay, people who are reaching out to you, Britt, are just saying they love this and that they love you. Yeah. And Stephanie fun. told me that she was having a hard time and that what helped her was knowing that if they were gonna come to her platform, they were gonna have to be forced to hear what she cares about and what she has to say. So I was like, wow, yeah. What do I care about? What do I have to say? What do I want young people to feel from me? Absolutely, I'm gonna make sure that my page is loud with my voice and because they're now watching it and my voice is kind and inclusive. So that's great. So of course they're gonna come to it. And you know, I, I wanna be kind to them if they're coming because that's what I would want from someone or a group of people I was hoping to sit with at lunch, you know? Yeah. They treated us like people who they wanted to sit with at lunch. And I took my Instagram as a, as a lunch table, even if I could, it was just a comment to be like, thank you, thumbs up. Just let them, just, because also it's so fleeting. I was famous during Be More Chill. You know what I mean? Like that was so fleeting. And so what do you do with, uh, a seed in front of you when you know that it's gonna be watered uh, somewhere else by someone else. Just throw a little water on it and say bye. You know, yeah, it, it's it's worth it. It's worth it. So I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. But I also never got the, the those heavy, scary the darkness. Yeah, I never got it. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't the dear Evan Hansen vibes no. where you're kind of no. right, like holding on to that. Um, but also during that time, Britain and the Sting. Mm -hmm. Was that born at the same time or did that already exist? It was born. Uh, I've been writing music forever. I, you know, in that isolated kid, I was always not alone because of music. Oh my God. I used to play the keyboard in my room, play the violin, teach myself things. Just like it was always a go-to. So I've always had a trunk of music, um, a trunk of songs that are my own journal. And I was thinking of how to share my music and what to do. And during, I did the, I did a show called The Sting at Paper Mill. And uh, I was in a cab at the time and this taxi driver didn't know me, didn't know him, didn't know what I did or anything, asked to read my hand. He was like, can I see your hand? And I was like, oh yeah, cool, okay. And he looked at my hand and said, you know, you've been through a lot in your life, you're strong. He like talked into my life and said, you know, you, you just need somebody to hold you down and you're gonna be fine. You're gonna have everything you want. And I was like, oh, wow, thank you, man. Ha ha ha, yeah, 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 okay, cool. Five stars. I know, I was like, great, <laughs> okay, fine. No big deal, this guy's just being nice. And I said, yo, that was very nice, I appreciate that. And he said, what? You think I'm some regular taxi driver? And the car, as it was still moving, felt like all of a sudden it got holy. I promise you not, listeners, everybody, the car felt like all of a sudden it got holy, something happened. And he said, do you have a band? He didn't say, was I an artist? Was I a singer? He didn't know anything about me. He said, do you have a band? And I started crying. I said, no, I don't have a band. And he said, you need to start a band. I said, okay. And I went upstairs and I called two people and I said, hey, I'm going to start a band and you're going to be in it. I don't know what it's going to be called. I called another person. I said, hey, I'm starting a band. 
I don't know what it's called, but I need, I need you to be in it. And it was the vehicle for all of these songs I had written. And so during Being More Chill, we did our first show, but Britain and the Sting was birthed from this random taxi driver named Aslan, I'll never forget, not asking me anything, but do you have a band? And I just take that holy moment as like a guide towards whatever's supposed to happen to our music uh, as like confirmation that I was supposed to have a band, man. Not only that, for those who haven't been lucky enough to like go to Rockwood or just see you play in person, they can go on YouTube. Like not only do you have a band, you were born to be at the center of a band. I mean, the songs, the voice, but it is like literally the Holy Spirit fills you and fills the room. And it is, it is an event. It is not just mm-hmm. going to see a band. It is, mm-hmm. um, it is, everyone's levitating by the end and, and you bring people along on this journey toward expression and joy and power. And it's so inclusive and it's so joyful and so deep. And the idea that like, this is not something that you've been doing for 20 years, right? Like that this is, I mean, it, it's a calling, right? It's like, you're, you're, it's a calling. Mm-hmm. And, and how incredible, I mean, look, it might've happened in some form or other later on in your life, but like that interaction the randomness of that and yet the absoluteness of that. Oh, yes. Wow. That yes. is such an incredible story. Yeah. It, oh man. Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's real. It's real. And it's been nothing but an anchor for me. It's, it's so, and it's my, it's where I'm my fullest, you know, mm. sometimes I'm, I want to talk about justice and sometimes I don't want to talk about justice. Sometimes I'm like, I don't talk about theater. Sometimes I don't talk about theater, mm-hmm. but music and the power of music connecting. It's like, it's where I'm my fullest. It is where I am my most impactful. It's where I'm my most vulnerable. It's when I'm my best listener when I'm most collaborative, it's when I'm fully aligned, like uh, like a ninja, like oof. it's it's so great. And I I just I love the I love the way you um, speak about it. I feel so seen by just your words of it. I just I'm like oh man, you get it. Uh, thank you. Oh, incredible! And and uh, and you know, as as slowly things start opening up again. Um, people are going to get to see you. We're going to get to be in a room together eventually and not watch you through a screen, but, but get to feel you in the same room again. Um, there's a record, right? There's an album. Yes. There's a, we're working on an album now. We're releasing a single and a I'm a hundred. I call it a record, but you know what I mean? Yes. 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 And there's an EP out, uh, from three years ago of a live recording that folks can listen to, but man, it's so it's a long journey of working on this record, but it's great. It's, it's good. It's good. I'm so excited. I can't even. Um, okay. Before I let you go out in Brooklyn tonight to see people that you love, mm-hmm. um, can you, first of all, thank you for what I hope is one of many conversations. I want you to consider my podcast microphone yours anytime you want it. Um, I don't even have to be here. 
Uh, I just think any chance my listeners around the world get to hear you and what you're doing, what you're thinking about, what inspires you. Um, anyway, open invitation. I, I just Appreciate want you it. to know that. Um, and and uh, if the Broadway Advocacy, Advocacy Coalition need it, it's theirs too. Um, before I let you go, is there, you've shared so much, but the show is called Little Known Facts. Is there a little known fact about you that you can share? Because you've shared some big ones. Mm. <laughs> right? I know. Okay. This is, oh, oh, oh I can't believe. <laughs> My friends are going to be like, you said that? You did not <laughs> say that. You did not say that. Okay. A little known fact. Only my closest friends know. I'm giving it to you here. Ah, this is so bad. <laughs> I'm like rethinking it, but now I'm like, now it's too late. You have to say it. Um, I sometimes forget to brush my teeth. I like to leave the house right away to get coffee. It's a part of my regimen. It's part of my thing. And I'll, I don't like I don't like toothpaste with my coffee, so I go raw and drink my coffee raw. No, no mint. Just straight up raw, nasty bed breath, coffee, first thing. And then I'll start my day and I'll forget. Mm -hmm. So sometimes like my friends make a joke, middle of the day. I'm like, shut up, Brittany, you didn't even brush your teeth today. And I'll be like, yeah, I, oh my God, I didn't, oh my God, I didn't brush teeth today. So that's a little known fact. <laughs> that just may be the beginning of a movement. I have lost my toothpaste sponsorship, but I feel like maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe it's okay. Maybe, maybe to have that authentic coffee experience, this <laughs> is, this is what must happen. Um, Britton Smith, what a, what a beautiful artist you are. What a beautiful, beautiful person you are. Thank you for all you do because you don't have to do it, but I thank you. I thank you. And I wish you the most, most beautiful night and life. Yes. And I can't wait to talk more with you. Yes. This was so pleasurable. Thank you. Thank you I'm so, so much. glad. We all need pleasure. One more thing. So many of you have asked, how do you donate to the podcast? Well, it could not be easier. Just go to littleknownfactspodcast.com slash donations. Instructions are clearly laid out. And I'm so grateful to you in advance for any donation you choose to make. But regardless, I have loved, loved, loved making the previous 200 and something episodes for you. I can't wait to make 200 more. I wish you a beautiful day. Stay healthy. Be safe. Until next time. The episode was edited by Nicholas Klar. We recorded in New York City. And the Little Known Facts theme song was written and recorded by Georgia Famusa with backups by Caleb Famusa.